Hello there, and welcome back to another episode of That's Fire Podcast. I'm your host, Nolan Raby, and we're at it again with another interesting episode, which entails future technological civilization on Mars and what it might look like when humans start their expansion towards our neighboring red planet. But first, let's travel back in time to the earlier days of astronomy. Humans have always had a desire for a deeper knowledge of everything around them so that we could be prepared for situations where we can use that knowledge to improve the lives of ourselves and others. We have always had a lust for knowledge for an understanding of our own world, but what about other worlds, stars, galaxies, and the entire universe for that matter? Astronomy is one of the oldest natural sciences dating back to antiquity. With its origins in the religious, mythological, cosmological, calendrical, and astrological beliefs and practices of prehistory. Early cultures adopted astronomy not as a science, but as a part of their religion. They identified celestial objects like stars and planets to gods and spirits. It was generally accepted that the first astronomers were priests of these early civilizations, and hence astronomy's connection to what is now called astrology. The earliest sophisticated form of astronomy arose in ancient Babylonia, in central Mesopotamia. I won't go into too much detail about this, but I'll save it for another episode in the future. In Mesopotamia, ancient astronomers recorded information and observations on clay tablets. For instance, they record when Venus appeared in the sky after a period of invisibility when Jupiter went into retrograde motion. Over time, the Babylonians learned to predict the motions of planets and the moon based on the repeating patterns, and at about 300 BC, they could already foresee planetary behavior using complex arithmetic theories. The study of astronomy involved evolved for centuries, and many ideas were adopted by the Christian church, but were challenged during the Copernican Revolution. Shortly after this, physics was widely accepted and molded astronomical principles that evolved into the principles we know today. During the 19th and 20th centuries, many parts of the world experienced a great expansion of technological progress. The first liquid-fueled rocket was invented on March 16, 1926 by Robert H. Goddard, who is considered the father of modern rocketry. But it wasn't until 1957 when the space age officially began, when the Soviet Union launched Sputnik, the world's first artificial satellite. The launch of Sputnik took the United States by surprise and sparked the creation of NASA. This led to the space race between the United States and the Soviet Union. This space race quickly led to the production of more efficient orbital-class rockets due to the ambitions of both nations. Yuri Gagarin, Yugi Gagarin was the first person to reach low Earth orbit while aboard the Vostok 1, which circled the Earth at around 27,400 kilometers per hour, with the flight lasting 108 minutes. It was only eight years later that NASA's Saturn V rocket would carry Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Michael Collins to the moon and would eventually be the first people to land on the moon while aboard the lunar module of the Saturn V, attached to the service and command module. The space race is still happening today, but after the first successful moon landings with the Apollo program, NASA had its sights on a more exciting target, which is Mars. NASA had plans to send the first humans to Mars in 1981 and have a permanent base on Mars in the late 1980s, but here we are, over 40 years later, and humans have not been back to the moon since the Apollo missions. It's pretty insane that we went to the moon with 1960s technology and they haven't gone back since, which has sparked the conspiracy theories and why people think the moon landings were fake.
But the main reason why NASA hasn't gone back to the moon was the cost of the vehicle and the mission necessary to get to the moon and complete the scientific objectives. The legendary Saturn V cost $185 million every launch, which is equivalent today to about $1.23 billion in present-day currency. The atrocious cost of space travel started a negative trend line because in 1969 we were able to go to the moon, and with the space shuttle we were only able to go to low-Earth orbit to deliver satellite equipment and go to the ISS. And then when the space shuttle program ended in 2011, that we weren't able to go from the orbit to the United States with the manned spacecraft. However, this is changing right now as new private spaceflight companies have presented audacious goals with getting humans to the moon, Mars, and possibly beyond that. Even NASA has been developing the SLS rocket or Space Launch System, a super heavy lift vehicle that's a part of their new Artemis program, which plans to send humans to the moon for the first time since the Apollo missions. Despite new private companies proposing new plans for future missions, only one company is close to reaching that ambitious goal, and that is SpaceX, founded by Elon Musk, the billionaire founder of SpaceX and Tesla. After successfully being able to repetitively land their orbital-class booster, Falcon 9, along with Falcon Heavy, they started preparation for their super-heavy-lift, fully reusable vehicle designed for the journey to Mars called Starship. Starship is the tallest and will be the most powerful rocket ever designed when launched. Starship is a two-stage-to-orbit vehicle consisting of a super-heavy booster stage powered by 33 sea-level optimized Raptor 2 engines, and the spacecraft stage will have nine Raptor 2 engines, with six of them being optimized for a vacuum, but that number can change in the future when more Starships are designed for the journey to Mars. I won't go into too much detail about the Raptor 2 engines because I really want to save that for another episode. Back to what I was saying with SpaceX's plans to get to Mars. Elon Musk plans to launch the first Starship to Mars in the mid-2020s from Starbase. This mission will be uncrewed, but it will be a great chance to demonstrate that Starship is safely able to navigate crew crew and necessary cargo to settle Mars. During the launch process, the Starship spacecraft will be attached to the super heavy booster that will provide 17 million pounds of thrust during liftoff and about 327 seconds of specific impulse for each Raptor 2 engine. After liftoff, the super heavy booster will separate from the Starship spacecraft at about T plus 170 seconds and will perform a landing phase similar to the Falcon 9, but with slight changes to the process. First of all, the booster, I believe, is not equipped with landing legs that are seen on the Falcon 9. Well, the iconic landing legs. They're still obviously landing legs. Um, But the reason of this is because the launch tower for Starship is designed to catch the booster to ensure safe arrival and no damage to the systems upon its return to the ground. Moving on, the Starship second stage is now in orbit and needs to refuel with fuel and oxidizer, which in this case, the fuel is methane is methane and the oxidizer is liquid oxygen. This is a crucial part of the Mars journey and journeys with lunar versions of Starship because most of the fuel would have already been exhausted just delivering a payload into orbit. To do this, SpaceX would need additional Starships in orbit designed for refueling multiple Starships poised for the journey ahead. After refueling, Starship will begin its six-month grueling journey to Mars. Now, it's a good time to mention that there is a launch window to Mars, which comes every 26 months, 
when Earth and Mars are at their closest, at about 44.78 million miles, or 75.28 million kilometers for our European friends. Elon Musk plans to build a fleet of starships for his other insane goal to put 1 million people on Mars by the year 2050, but more on that in another episode. With this fleet of starships, assuming that the first uncrewed ship land, landed safely on Mars, they will travel together to the red planet for a long journey. Upon atmospheric entry, when it gets to Mars, Starship will be going at around a cool 7.5 kilometers per second, or 16,777 miles per hour. Upon atmospheric entry, over 99% of the energy will have been removed aerodynamically, causing the heat shield to glow because it's at temperatures of up to 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit. This causes the heat shield to cool using a method called ablative cooling, which is also used to cool rocket engines like the Delta IV Heavy, or maybe it's the Delta V Heavy. I haven't done much research on that yet. But I will discuss cooling techniques of rockets in another episode because I think that's really interesting. But after atmospheric entry, the spacecraft is also traveling supersonic and slowing down into a transonic airstream, which is obviously still way too fast to land. That's when they reignite the Raptor 2 engines and use the gimbal range of 15 degrees to perform the flip maneuver, and then the landing legs must deploy, and then you have a starship, or rather, a fleet of starships, but at first it'll be a small fleet of starships, quite obviously, sitting on the surface of Mars. The first priority addressed by SpaceX is that they will attempt to land cargo ships that will be carrying necessary life support systems, several football fields worth of solar panels that will power the Mars base, oxygen, extra fuel, water, food, waste man management systems, spacesuits, medical supplies, and the first habitation pods and modules that will make up the first Mars base. Starship will also be carrying Starlink, which will serve as the new communications network for the Martian base. Only four of these Starlink satellites are needed for the small area that the Mars base will cover until the, Mars, the human population on Mars expands to the rest of the planet. Robots, rovers, and several AI will be deployed on Mars for preparation for things like finding icy water deposits, setting up the habitation modules, unloading the cargo, and preparing the solar panels for operation, performing experiments and tests that will be needed to produce the fuel needed for Starship to make round trips in certain rovers will also be used to flatten and melt the Martian regolith to create a smooth landing pad for future crewed missions until uh, an actual landing pad pad can be constructed. At this time, the launch window between Earth and Mars is closed, but if we fast forward 26 months, the crewed mission to Mars is ready to go. A couple crewed starships will land on Mars with an additional 10 to 20 cargo ships accompanying them. This information, however, will be is a speculation because only time will tell how many starships will actually land on Mars. Starships landing on Mars, oh, but getting on with it, it is speculated that only a small number of around 30 astronauts will land on Mars in these two starships. These include scientists, engineers, medical professionals, and military personnel with scientific backgrounds. After taking a moment to adapt to the lower gravity and harsh conditions on Mars, since they have weaker muscles from the six-month journey, the astronauts will begin work over the two-year mission on unloading and deploying important supplies like the life support systems and the modules for habitation. They're also going to have to start production of their own cryogenic propellants needed to power Starship's Raptor 2 engines. 
These fuels will be liquid methane and liquid oxygen. After the successful production of their own fuel, which they will have to do by using electrolysis to generate hydrogen and oxygen from the water, and then use the saboteur reaction to combine hydrogen with Martian CO2 to produce the methane that will be used as a cryogenic fuel for the returning starships and its astronauts. The first astronauts on Mars will also start a green project in order to grow plants and ultimately produce food on Mars. Soil is collected in genetically modified plants that will that the astronauts to Mars are being tested and grown in the soil. Sorry, soil is collected in genetically modified plants that came with the astronauts. So they brought them with them along with the other supplies that they needed because that's a really important thing to test for future missions. Testing also begins on the cyanobacteria that was transported from Earth. This is an important step in the process because the cyanobacteria will convert CO2 and sunlight and water into oxygen and sugars. These species of bacteria can also produce biomass that will be useful in other ways, including food production. Additionally, the cyanobacteria can also be used to oxygenate Mars after initial warming of the planet. It is not clear how the warming of Mars will take place, but a few ideas have been proposed in the last few years. These include placing large orbital mirrors that will reflect sunlight and heat up the Martian surface, using factories to produce large amounts of greenhouse gases to trap heat in the atmosphere, and smashing ammonia-heavy asteroids onto the planet to increase greenhouse gas emission. Another idea that could theoretically work was proposed by Elon Musk in 2015 when he said that we could theoretically heat up Mars by detonating a large amount of thermonuclear bombs on the poles to act as artificial suns and theoretically heat the planet up. However, there are many problems associated with this, such as um, excess irradiation and the destruction of several areas that could be used for scientific studying purposes. After this work is completed, along with the finalization of the small Mars base, greenhouse gas, greenhouses, and research facilities, the first group of astronauts will return to Mars, but the next fleet will be ready to go during the launch windows until approximately 2050. SpaceX plans to produce around 1,000 starships for humans to go to Mars, and possibly additional ones for cargo. Around 100 to 200 crewed starships will be built every year, and every launch window will bring more essential supplies, new technologies, and new knowledge. In conclusion, Mars may eventually be a home for humans and can possibly be like Earth in the future that could support humans just like Earth. Well, that wraps it up. Thank you for listening to That's Fire Podcast. I'm your host, Nolan Raby, and make sure you follow the show if you want to see more interesting episodes and episodes that could go into more detail about the specifics of this mission. And we'll see you on the next one.